I know that I bring a totally different way of thinking to the business than anybody else on the team. That was Marnie explaining why executives need to get more involved in inclusion initiatives for mental illness. Marnie works at Expedia, helping teams tell stories, which she describes as her dream job. Like me, Marnie lives with bipolar. Undiagnosed for a long time, she went through two marriages and divorces before an offhand comment in an acting class nudged her to explore her mental state. In this episode of Silent Superheroes, Marnie shares that odd offhand comment made by her acting teacher. We roleplay how a manager or HR professional should handle a conversation with an employee with mental illness. Marnie explains her thorough, structured way for identifying medication side effects, and she reflects on the positive and negative ways mania has played in her career. Before we get started for this episode, just a couple of administrative notes. There was a problem with the recording equipment I used for this episode, and as a result, the dialogue has a few dropouts. For example, there are places where half a word is missing. It didn't affect my ability to understand what was being said while I was editing, but if you find it distracting, I totally understand if you prefer not to listen to it. Second, Silent Superheroes is, to use the common word, a side hustle for me, alongside my full-time job, my family, and a few other projects. Silent Superheroes comes from my strong belief that these stories have to be told, and we have to start getting comfortable with talking about mental health at work. I want these stories to be interesting and informative, and to respect your time, so I put a lot of care into each episode. Typically, the original recordings are anywhere from one to two hours, and I try to edit those down to about 45 minutes, and that process can be time-consuming. I originally set myself a schedule of releasing an episode every other Tuesday, and that was based, I think, on something I'd read about regular schedule helping to build listenership. Over the last few episodes, I've been feeling increasing stress sticking to that schedule, partly because of those other demands in my life. While editing this episode, I decided I needed to take a a break, and I delayed the episode a week. I don't want this project to falter because I've put too much pressure on myself to meet a deadline. Burnout is a real risk for me, and I need to take care of my mental health so I can keep doing this. Moving forward, I'm going to go a little easier on myself and give myself permission to be late with episodes. I've already got some great episodes recorded. We have one about body dysmorphic disorder, OCD, alcoholism, and there's a group discussion with a psychiatrist, a counsellor, and a mental health advocate about the challenges facing silent superheroes in work. So even if it doesn't take me two weeks and maybe sometimes three weeks to get these out, hopefully you'll still bear with me. Remember, Marnie and I are just two people talking about our personal experience living with mental illness. If you're considering a change to your treatment plan, please consult with a trained medical professional. My name's James Pratt. I'm the host of Silent Superheroes, and I'm really glad that you're here. Welcome to the Silent Superheroes Podcast, a series of frank conversations about mental health at work. I'm here with today's guest, Marnie. Marnie, nice to meet you. Welcome to the show. Thanks, James. It's really nice to be here. Awesome. So why don't you start by telling us... um, who you are. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, I um, am a 52-year-old woman. I have five children. I've been married and divorced twice. 
Um, my vocation is uh, I am a storyteller. I have my dream job at Expedia Group. I'm there to help the engineering department uh, tell better stories. And I'm very grateful that you're a storyteller for the purposes of what we're about to do. I know, right? It's really going to put me out. <laughs> no pressure, money, no at all. Good stuff. So we were connected by a, a mutual friend, mm-hmm. and uh, I believe we we share some things around mental health. So why don't you tell us about um, you know what you deal with in your mental health? Um, well, I have bipolar. I was diagnosed at a late date. <laughs> I was 49 when I was diagnosed. And um, it's not just bipolar. I have other things that go along with it. Obvi- um, obviously, often there are other conditions that show up when you have a mental illness. Yeah. So I have some ADHD. Mm-hmm. I have some OCD. I have this condition where I pick at my face. Oh, okay. <laughs> What's that called? Uh, it's like dermotrichinosis, something oh, like that. okay. Because there's the one where you pick your hair. Yeah. Um, but mine is that I pick my skin. Yeah, and it's just an anxiety-related thing. So I have anxiety, depression, okay. all of that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a mess. It's quite the, <laughs> quite the bag of, of things is. to be managing. Yeah, um, and I didn't even know. You found your bipolar diagnosis late, I guess, or maybe later than some people do. Yeah, because I look back and yeah. I see that as when I was younger, yeah. I had similar right. traits. I just thought I had this quirky personality. What was it that led you to to explore or to talk to somebody who said, hey, I think you have bipolar? Yeah, well, I was being treated for depression and anxiety at a low level by my um, family physician. And I decided to take an acting class. And so I was taking this Meisner acting class and it was awesome and it was perfect. And I felt like I was in my, in my place. And one night after class, I'd had a particularly intense, um, I guess you call acting session with this one other person. And, um, after the class, my, my teacher said, you know, you remind me of my sister and sometimes I just want to sit on her. And I thought, that's a very interesting observation yeah. of me, but it really got me and it really made me think, um, am I, is there something else going on here? I don't know why that was the wake up call, but it was. And it was after that class that I went to my physician and I said, look, I think maybe I've got something more like ADHD or bipolar. She gave me these questionnaires to fill out. I don't know if you remember the questionnaires. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I filled out the questionnaires and both came back positive. And she said, well, you need to see a psychiatrist. That's when I met my wonderful psychiatrist who helped me get better. Was the, the person in the acting class, did they say like my sister... Uh, has bipolar and you remind nope. me of her just like he described her a little bit as you know she just has all this energy and i yeah. and um she just needs to be sat upon to you know get yeah. back to normal <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> yeah I, I know you see you don't have any idea why you followed it up but like just i just had this gut feeling yeah. that there was something more going on here and really in hindsight if I look back at some major events in my life like mm. the fact that i've been married and divorced twice right. you know it really made me realize i was part of the problem right i started thinking about behaviors i had in the marriages um where i would just do things like go out and spend a thousand dollars because i wanted to and because of course we'll be fine right i had this manic view that everything would be fine well that's pretty detrimental to a relationship. So it's not all my fault. <laughs> but I do, I do, uh, it is an area where I now worry. You know, I've been single for 
three, well, I was in a relationship for a while after yeah. my last marriage, but I've been divorced for like nine years and I've been single for three and I worry that I'll never meet somebody because this condition is hard to deal with. It is. Let's go back for a second to your, you described you've been married twice. You look back and you see some of the bipolar behaviors coming up in your, in your marriage. Well, I, I kind of categorize my, there's like three states of my bipolar that I've really experienced. There's probably more, but the three that I, that are really dramatic to me and they all showed up in my marriage. Um, one is depression. And when you're barely able to get out of bed for six months, that's pretty hard on a marriage, right? So that's a pretty obvious one. Um, and you have five kids and you're trying, you know, it's very difficult. Um, and so then it puts a lot of pressure on your partner to be there where you can't be. And that's hard on a marriage. And then there's manic. And I really have like two manic states. One is where I'm so excited and I've got a zillion ideas and my, like my brain is just processing things in a way that I'm, I really believe I'm having the most creative ideas that anybody ever has had. Right. Uh That's, and, and I'll just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. Now, that state isn't as hard on the marriage, but the third, which I think is most destructive, and I call it my black mania, which is where I'm manic, but I'm angry. And so an angry manic person (laughs) is like the best attorney you've ever had. And I could talk somebody into the fetal position. And that's not healthy for a marriage. I just couldn't stop. I'd not heard that expression before, black mania. Is that a, a kind of uh, a mani kind of creation or Marnie-ism. something? You'd, a maniism. <laughs> it's nice. Because I kind of think I have this light mania and I have this dark mania. The light mania is the one I love and I miss and was hard to let go. But the dark mania was never hard to let go because it's so damaging on me and everybody around me. It's almost like you're making a a trade-off between there's this thing that I like, lots of energy and creativity, then there's this, these two dark states. My psychiatrist is amazing. Okay. One of the first things he said to me was, we do not want to, um, we do not want to make you bland. Right. So when we were going through our chemistry experiment with our medications, um, his, our goal was that I would still have some range, right? So I do have some peaks and valleys. They're just not as high or low. Um, so I love that about him. And he said, the reason I don't want to, you know, make bland is because pretty much all the amazing things that have been done in our world have been done by people who have a mental illness, probably bipolar. <laughs> so I like that. Yay. Rock on uh, bipolar. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned the word bland and kind of you and I nodded because you know we know thing about bipolar medication. <laughs> might be worth explaining why some people with bipolar end up being in inverted commas bland mm-hmm. and what you meant by that. Um, well, interestingly, one of the first books I read after I diagnosed was called An Unquiet Mind by Kay Redfield. And um, I really related to it because she was a she's a psychiatrist who has bipolar uh, type one, very, very extreme version of bipolar. And I remember her saying, I did not want to go on medication because I didn't want to lose that. And yet it was destroying her life. And so um, I just I felt the same way. I just felt like I'm going to lose what makes me special and unique. And um and I think medication can do that, yeah. right? It can numb you. 
it can make you feel like no emotion if you go that far, right? Yeah, bipolar is a condition which has very volatile emotional swings, right? To Mm -hmm. the up, the up, the down, and and vice versa. And so many bipolar medications take the range away, right? but they take the personality with it, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so my, my doctor and I really try to keep me on the lowest doses possible. I'm on higher doses on my antidepressants because I need it more. Um, But everything else, I'm pretty much on the lowest dose or like half a dose or a quarter of a dose. And we've just found that that's a good balance for me. So you mentioned chemistry experiment. Yes. Walk (laughs) us through your personal chemistry experiment. Oh, well, it took about a year. Okay. Which is a big investment. That's, but not bad. (laughs) Not too bad. Yeah. Um, You know, I would go to my psychiatrist every two weeks. And we would talk about what my symptoms were. And he had he'd given me this chart, which was um, manic symptoms and depression symptoms, both on the same page, because you can have both at the same time. Often I'll have manic and be sort of depressed at the same time. And um, so I would come in, we would talk about some of my symptoms. Was this medication effective? And often I would have terrible side effects. So I remember one medication, and I can't remember the name of it, but I remember my son came over to visit, my older son, and I was sitting on the floor whispering. I couldn't speak. It was weird. I could only talk in a very, very whisper voice, and my cognition was off. I almost couldn't think. I felt like I was just like immobilized, completely immobilized. And that was the kind of experience I had to go through as we were figuring out what medications would work and which ones would not. It's a fairly serious side effect. Yeah, it was pretty big. I just went off that one right away. Yeah, cold turkey. Cold turkey. Nice. What are you on right now? Um, I'm on a ton of medications, not all for bipolar, but um, I am on venlafaxine, which is the medication for my depression and anxiety, my primary medication for that. Uh, I take a tiny amount of Raylar, um, which helps me with my mood as well and, and was really intended to help with the picking. And it has a bit. I mean, if you had seen me three months ago, you would have noticed that I had this giant scab on my chin where I would just pick and pick and pick. I would imagine that there were, you know, pimples or something and I would find a way to just, you know, attack myself. Um, and that has helped, though it's not completely gone. But I find that if I go on a higher dose of Verlar, I have some cognitive um, side effects. I take... Adderall for the ADHD symptoms, and I take propranolol for the um, the tremors that my medication causes, and then I take some lithium as well. Okay, <laughs> just you know, just to add some spice. So let's yeah, let's. <laughs> why not? One of the things that's come up in earlier episodes of the podcast, as as we've consistently talked about this experimentation that yeah. you go through, I found that a lot of people don't know what the potential side effects are before they start taking something. So I'm curious Mm -hmm. what's been your experience of finding out about managing those side effects, because it sounds like a good to me. Well, in the beginning, I did what probably most people do, which is take the medication and then have a side effect and then read the brochure. Mm. (laughs) You know, the little insert that says, these are the side effects you could have, or go on the internet and look it up. And I did do that. Um, But then as I noticed that I am sensitive to medications, then I started talking, I would just talk to my doctor about it. What are the potential side effects? And then whenever I would get the medication, I would read that insert. 
I would just want to know, like, like even highlight stuff that I'm tend to be more prone to having happen. Um, and that way I'd know it was that medication. Cause when you have a whole bunch of medications, it's hard to tease apart which one's causing the side effect or is it a combination of things? That yeah. are, so tracking is really important. Oh. How do you how do you do the tracking? So you highlight stuff in yeah. the brochure. Is there anything that you do on an ongoing basis then to, to track? I, uh, you know, I sometimes write down things that I want to take to my psychiatrist because I will forget. Yeah, you know, um, but most often if I'm having a side effect, I contact my psychiatrist right away. Yeah, I think this is really important. I think of everybody I've spoken to, including myself, <laughs> the approach that you have taken to finding the right blend for you seems to be very organized, thoughtful, thorough. Well, thank you. And <laughs> I think it's worth underlining that because for many people that year they went through of trying to find the right, um, the right medications are torturous. They are. People sometimes ask me what I've learned from making this podcast. One of the things I often share is that I've noted people wait too long until there's a moment of crisis before they seek help. Bipolar had certainly caused problems in Marnie's life, for example, her divorces, but her journey to diagnosis didn't start with a crisis. It started with a sentence, you remind me of my sister. Marnie listened to her instincts and followed them with curiosity and she was open to the possibility that she was part of the problem. While getting diagnosed didn't fix the problem, it did give her the opportunity to learn how to work with it better. I think Marnie has taken a grade A student approach to learning to live with her bipolar. There is no better example of that than her discipline with medication and its side effects. I love the way she takes the list of potential side effects and marks them up with things that she thinks might affect her. And I'll definitely be doing that next time I try a new medication. Coming up in the next section, Marnie talks about her work, and that leads us to a rather interesting role play of a manager or HR professional having a conversation with their employee who's disclosed that they have a mental illness. Do you talk about your bipolar in the context of that of that work? I do. I I pretty much tell everybody I have bipolar. I have a <laughs> I create this um well, I felt when I when I realized I had it and I realized I had probably passed it on to my children, I felt like, oh, this is the universe saying you have something to do, yeah. right? You need to be a voice. You need to be a champion. And um, so it makes me feel awesome that I get to be a champion for that, even though I have my own personal struggles that are mostly inside. Um, one of the things that I'm doing is at Expedia, we've just started an employee resource group. That's great. Called the Ability Inclusion Movement, which is all, nice. all about, it's called AIM. AIM, yeah, nice, yeah. Well, well played. Thank you. And the whole purpose is to help Expedia increase awareness, reduce bias, and um, overcome challenges for people with disabilities in the workplace. And we're really making a push on mental illness as one of the disabilities. So I'm pretty excited about that. In the work that you've done, on that so far, what biases and other experiences have you learned about that people with a mental illness have, have faced? 
I had an experience when I first started. Uh, I was a consultant at Expedia before I got hired as a full-time employee. And I don't really, really put anybody on the spot, but I had an experience where I discovered that somebody I was working with and coaching was had bipolar. And um, she wasn't willing to talk about it with her manager. And I encouraged her to share. And she decided over time, yes, I feel like I can now share and I need to because she was going through some problems with her medication. She needed to go get that taken care of. It's really hard to explain to your boss, I need to take two months off to go through a chemistry experiment. But the boss didn't react very positively to it when I mentioned that she was going to disclose. And I didn't say what it was. Um, she said, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. It makes puts me at risk. And I thought, oh, I don't think I can work here. <laughs> <laughs> but it ended up working out in that I had inadvertently had a conversation with HR about it. And they were like, this is not the way this is meant to be. This was just a junior person. She did not know what she was supposed to be doing. And this is the kind of thing I want to overcome, right? How do managers deal with an employee who has it? How does an employee feel safe bringing it up? You know, if, if this person had had cancer, totally different response. But the fact that it was a mental illness scared the person. That not knowing what to say is something I hear over and over again. Yeah. I had a HR colleague, um, worked for a different company, approached me recently and said, I think somebody is going to disclose to me. And I think it's around mental health. Mm -hmm. What do I do? And, you know, you would think somebody in HR maybe would have, you know, the words, understanding, but the truth is that we don't because we don't talk about it enough. Right. If you were working in HR or you were a manager, how would you handle that situation? Someone says, I'm, you know, I, I'm managing anxiety or depression or bipolar or schizophrenia or whatever it might be. What would you do? Um, well, I would want to fully understand the situation. So I wouldn't be don't tell me, right? I mean, I'd be tell me, yeah. tell me what's going on. And I would treat it like it was any other sort of illness, right? I, I think it's as simple as that. Um, but I think in some cases it is harder for people who don't have a mental illness to um, relate. So let's role play this out for a second. Okay. You're a storyteller, somebody's done acting, you're good <laughs> on me, right? <laughs> All right. So we're now having a one-on-one. -on -one. I work for you, Marty. Okay. Um, so, hey, Marnie, um, just wanted to uh, let you know about something that I think, you know, has been affecting my uh, performance. I've learned that I have uh, like a major clinical um, depression. I want to let you know and talk to you about how that affects my work. Okay. Well, first, I'm really, really thank you for telling me. And I'm sorry that you're having to go through this. Um, it's been hard. Yeah. So, um uh, could you tell me a little bit about what you need? Yeah, I, I'm kind of still in the, um, you know, in the early days. I've had a really hard time um, kind of getting up and getting to work. Maybe you noticed I've been kind of late mm -hmm. a lot lately. And um, I've been struggling a lot with focus in, yeah. um, you know, in my work at, at times. And um, as a as a man, uh, apparently it's common with depression um, that, you know, it makes you really irritable and aggressive. And I feel like I've been a bad, bad teammate at oh, times yeah. too. Yeah, that, that would feel terrible. Yeah. So um, 
Is there? Do you have a doctor you're working with? I mean, is I, yep. I found a I found a psychiatrist. I've just started working with. I'm uh, we're working with some different medications, trying to figure out what helps. I don't feel like I found the right thing yet, but mm-hmm. I'm working on it. How is that affecting your ability to work? Yeah, it's a that's a great question. Um, you know, honestly, one of the medications just made me feel very disconnected and distant from the um, from the world, which just made it really hard for me to be in meetings and things like that. Um, so those have been the, the so far. What I'm trying right now so far is, seems like it's working, but we're still yeah. early days. Well, from what I what I've learned, um, because I I know that this is not uncommon. Um, what I've learned about mental illness and when you're working through it is that sometimes you need time off work to get through the chemistry experiment. And have you considered that? I, you know, I feel like, you know, I don't want to put my job at risk by being the person who takes a bunch of time off. So um, I just, I'm a little worried about. Well, we're not going to your job's at risk. Um, I'm grateful that you're telling me. And um, I would love it if we could think about what would be an appropriate amount of time off for you so that you could get through the chemistry experiment. Um, what other support you need? I mean, think about that. What other support do you need? And then um, maybe talk to your psychiatrist about what he would recommend, he or she would recommend for managing some time, you know, taking that time. I've got to say, like, as you were going that last bit, like I felt my heart filling up, like, God, this person really cares about me. Yeah. Even though I we were playing a, yeah. you, know, you know, doing a role play. So I, I love the way that you that you handled that. Um, Thanks. I'm sure there are things I could improve, but no doubt we were, we were working on the the spot there, but I think that, you know, you asked great questions, you know, you kind of gently nudge me in the direction of resources, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you don't know what you want, talk to your psychiatrist about what you might, you know, what you might need. Um, I, yeah, I love the way that that you handled that. And I may have said, you know, I think it might've been helpful to say, uh, I don't know what the, all the resources are that yeah. we have available to yeah. provide. So let me do some research on that too. Yeah. And then let's t- back together tomorrow. Yeah. One or way. two days or whatever. Yeah. I feel like we didn't do employee resource group justice. Oh, we talk- it's so new. Yeah. Talk to me about what it is you're trying to accomplish through your employee resource group, particularly as it relates to people with, with mental illness. Yeah. Well, what's really interesting is we've, um, we're in the forming stage of it. So we've got a board of directors and we haven't done voting for uh, officers or anything yet, but we're having a kickoff meeting with the community of people who are interested more and more and more people are signing up to be um, part of it, which I think is great. Um, So one of the things is building community. I think we have a really great opportunity to build community with people that are interested in or have mental illness. Um, I thought this would be mostly around disabilities like people that are blind or deaf. But what I'm finding is that all the talk is happening around mental illness. So I really see this as a great platform for us to do a variety of things. And the first thing I want to do is a speaker series. I want to bring people in from outside Expedia to talk to all the people who are interested about what it is, how you can you know, how do you relate to it? Because most, I think, I think the stat, I might be wrong, is like 60% of people have a mental illness. And so there are those people around you or, or are, or have someone in their lives who have one. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's a huge population that could be really interested in this. So, um, even my psychiatrist had to come in and talk. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one, those are some of the things that, yeah. that I want to do. 
I'm really excited to hear about your employee resource group and hopefully we can keep yeah, in touch because I think in the community of companies that, that you and I work in, hopefully we will be in the, the earlier wave of companies that really tackle this issue yeah. head on. Yeah. Um, and hopefully we, part of what I'm trying to achieve here is to influence how companies think about mental health and mental yeah. illness um, to, you know, by educating whoever's listening about what those experiences are like. And then as we have done, generate some ideas for, you know, if you're a manager, how you talk to somebody about their mental health and and mental illness. Yeah. Like our resource group is really a grassroots. It's from the ground up. And I think there needs to be more done at the executive level. Right. I mean, I think there needs to be more awareness raised at what, I mean, and for a lead, they have to understand the benefit Right. What is the benefit? Well, A, there's some legality, of course. Um, But I think that there is benefit because I know that I bring a totally different way of thinking to the business than anybody else on the team. And there are other people who bring that too, their own version of that. But I, the way I think actually is an advantage. Yeah. There's there's diversity and inclusion research that supports this mm-hmm. at having a diverse workforce whether that's gender diverse religious um, religious diversity you know people with mental illness people with disabilities that that population tend to find better solutions to the problem a business faces mm-hmm. but the trade-off is that they're generally slower because it takes more effort to work together. Mm. And we work in a world where speed is really important. It's valued highly. Yeah. I'll keep this short. That roleplay was one of my favorite things to happen on the podcast. I threw it in there as an idea, and I want to thank Marnie for rolling with it, because there really was no preparation. What a beautiful job she did. She showed how easy it is to have empathy, to show care, and move a conversation about mental health to a good place. Now, before leaving to strike out on her own, Marnie spent 22 years working at Microsoft. Earlier in my career, I also worked at Microsoft, and I also happened to be undiagnosed bipolar at the time. My experience was that Microsoft rewarded people who had the behaviors that had come with bipolar. And I wondered if Marnie's experience was the same. So you did 22 years Mm -hmm. at Microsoft. What did you do when you were there? You know, I did a lot of different things. I um, started in the product support division, uh, which is customer service and support now. I was there for eight years. I started on the phones answering customer questions about, you know, Microsoft products on the Mac. And then I got involved in this change initiative called customer and partner experience. I had a lot of really great jobs at Microsoft. So my last job at Microsoft was director of marketing for office in the US. And during that role, I just was having this feeling that I was done at Microsoft, but I wasn't sure. I was single. I had five kids. (laughs) Um, I was bipolar, (laughs) didn't know it. And I went to a TED conference. I went to women in 2010 and sat in the front row for every single talk and sat there looking at them going, I want what they have. I want that kind of passion. I want to be doing what I love. And so I took about a year to make the decision, but I left the company in 2011. We hadn't really fully recovered from the 2008 recession, and all my friends thought I was crazy. 
Um, but I left and I started a coaching and facilitation practice, did my TED conference, and then ran out of money. Yeah. This is bipolar, yeah. right? I made this rash decision, sort of. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have a fallback. And I spent my life savings yeah. to, you know, have a fun experience. But the TED conference is the best experience I've ever had. And it changed me. And so it allowed me to be qualified for the kind of roles that I was able to do after that. You think about the TED conference, which feels like a real high point mm -hmm. for you. You knew you had bipolar at the time, presumably. No. Oh, you didn't. Okay, good. I did not know I had bipolar All at right. the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what would be different if you were to try to do that conference now? Ooh, what would be different? Coaching question. I... Not a whole lot. Okay. I, that sounds kind of weird. I, um, what might be different is that I might have been able to play a bit more of a supportive role to the other members of the team, whereas I was pretty focused on what I was doing, um, and I was more excited about that than anything, right? Yeah. So I made that the most important thing, and that doesn't necessarily then really make the rest of the team feel like they've got great stuff that they're doing, right? It makes it seem like all theirs is behind the scenes and mine's right out there in the front. And I think now I might recognize that more and try to bring more people into the speaker side of the house because that's the part I got to do and let them build some relationships with those very senior, wonderful people um, and maybe be more involved in it because that's kind of the sexy part of a TED conference. It's like you're in a band and you and you are the front man. Right. I mean, if you look at performers, a lot of performers have mental illness. Mm -hmm. And I think that, and are introverted. <laughs> 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 and I'm introverted, mm -hmm. and yet I'm a performer. Yeah. And so I get a lot of joy out of being in the front of the room. Yeah. And I think having the tendency toward mania... <clears throat> when I'm in front of the room, I'm a little manic. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, it's a lot, I'm a little high yeah. from my own mania. Yeah. How does your light mania help you be a, a facilitator and a coach and a storyteller mm -hmm. in the work that you do? It's so hard to describe. I feel like my brain is firing all cylinders. So what happens is, let's say I'm in front of the room and I'm doing facilitation. I can keep track of all the little anecdotes that everybody is saying. And then I weave those in to the conversation later. And people think, oh my, how did you do that? Right? It's just, I have a capacity that I didn't have. And I can actually observe things more deeply. Um, I'm definitely more engaged. I'm definitely more present. Which seems weird, because you'd think when you're manic, you'd be kind of all over the place crazy. And yes, of course, that can happen. Um, but mostly for me, when I'm manic, I'm pretty focused um, because my brain's just working so well. There's just something about being in the front of the room that changes it for me. Mm. I, I don't even know how to explain it. Yeah. Um, I think it is that being really present. And I think when my mania is a little bit more out of control, I'm not present with it. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that means that I can control my mania. Yeah. I can't. can't yeah. I, I have to have medication. I have to be aware of what's going on um, so that I can address 
any times that I'm out of balance. But sometimes I'm out of balance. It's just the way it is. We were talking about your experiences at Microsoft. When you were at Microsoft, you were living with undiagnosed bipolar. How do you think that contributed to you being successful? Um, It contributed to me being successful and unsuccessful. There was this great story in Harvard Business Review when I was getting ready to leave the company. I can't find it. If I can find it, I'll send it to you. But it was about this... um, this, uh, what, not condition, but kind of situation in business where you have these overachievers Mm -hmm. who climb really quickly, then they plateau, and you're going to lose them during the plateau. And then they climb, then they plateau. And I read this article going, oh my God, this is me. Mm -hmm. This is me. Because what I would say about my experience at Microsoft is that people at Microsoft would say, sometimes Marnie was a kick-ass rock star. I got two 4.5 reviews in a row. I mean, that's a big deal at Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes we wonder what happened to Marnie. And that was my bipolar. Yeah. You know, so I see it, right? I would have these incredible growth periods at the company where I was getting promoted every year, getting my wages doubled. Yeah. I mean, these great things. Yeah. And then I would be bored and I didn't know what to do. I wasn't self-aware enough. So I'd take up a hobby that had nothing to do with work. And then I'd get distracted from work by this other thing. You get super obsessed with the thing, whatever it was. Super obsessed. Yeah. Yeah. Hearing you talk about that growth plateau, growth plateau, makes me think also if you're undiagnosed, that can be very disturbing Mm -hmm. because it's hard to understand why you can't keep it up. Right. I couldn't, it would just, self reprimand myself all the time. Yeah. I thought, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Right? Yeah. What the frick is wrong with you? Yeah. Um, why can't you do what you just did? Yeah. Um, but often I'd be just so into whatever else I was doing that I would also just I mean, I knew I was just I would sabotage myself. Yeah. I knew I was sabotaging myself, but I did not know what to do about it at all. Perhaps like your subconscious was trying to get you to slow down a bit, maybe? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Or go to my doctor. (laughs) (laughs) If you were to go back now, now you understand bipolar, now you you know how to manage it, how do you think you might approach that period differently? Mm. Well, if I was medicated and and was in a balanced state, um, I I know when I'm getting bored. I can recognize that now. Mm. And I then have to have, I have to have a conversation with my boss, right? right, Around what can I do that's, that's going to add value to the business. It's also going to kind of get me excited again. Yeah. So you would want your workplace to support the ability for you maybe to cycle through different projects or, you know, even completely different roles to keep you, to keep you engaged. Yeah. Yeah. You know what they do at Expedia? That's so cool. They Uh do rotations. Nice. They have this whole very formal, but everybody can do it kind of rotation process. And I actually think that's going to be great for me because at the point where I feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I'm not inspired. I could rotate into another org and my headcount goes with me and Mm -hmm. then I come back or not. Um, So it's a pretty cool program. I think it'd be helpful for someone with (laughs) bipolar. 
When you think about your mental illness work, Mm -hmm. how have you been supported or not on your journey with bipolar? Mm -hmm. I think I've been totally supported, but I don't think I've asked for much. The one thing I haven't done a good job about at work is being an advocate when I need, when I really do need to leave the office, right? I'll get to the end of the day sometimes and I am just like empty. I've used every bit of energy that I have. My brain is not working right and I really just need to go home. Um, I will just like white knuckle it so that I don't have to say, I got to go. Now, if it's for my kid, if it's for anything else, yeah. I am willing to say it. Yeah. But if it, I'll, I'll make up an excuse. But I, I do think it's not helping if I don't say this is part of my mental illness yeah. and I need to take care of myself. It's such an important point that you made about if it's for something else, if it's for one of my kids or I have an appointment or, you know, Mm-hmm. someone's coming around to fix the boiler. Right. You want to think twice about saying, I need to not be here. Right. But because it's something for you, something that you need, it's hard to ask sometimes. Well, it's hard to describe it yeah. even. To say, oh, I'm feeling like my brain is tingling, <laughs> right? Or I'm having an out-of-body experience where right. I don't actually feel in connection with my yeah. body. Um, it just happens sometimes and it doesn't, mean that I need new medication. Sometimes I just need to rest. If there's somebody listening who is, who just got their bipolar diagnosis, like let's think of, uh, you know, Marnie at 49, you've come out Mm -hmm. of the psychiatrist's office, you've done the checklist and the checklist has said bipolar. Mm -hmm. What would you want to whisper in, in Marnie's ear? You have to change who you are to treat your bipolar. Mm. You can treat your bipolar and still be you. That's great. I love that. If there's somebody listening you know, to this and you wanted to offer them some words of encouragement or support or wisdom, what would you say? Talk about your illness or your mental state, right? Um, and, and not necessarily everybody, you know, at first talk about it with people who are totally safe, yeah. your friends, your family, because that can be hard, right? Practice with the people who love you and then start, you know, testing out who can you share this with because you do need support so people need to know Um, Marnie this has been a wonderful conversation before we wrap up um, what else would you want to say I hope people listen to this podcast I've been listening to these podcasts and they really do make you feel like you're not alone there are all sorts of really great tips and (laughs) hints and of what you can do to manage and um, be in community around it. So I, I guess I would just say you're not alone. Um, you're not broken and you are gifted. It's a wonderful sentiment. Marnie, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, James. This has been amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Bipolar is a complex condition because there are different states of mind that can be disorienting. For example, last weekend, I suddenly decided to throw out a bunch of t-shirts and organize my closet. Now, was that a necessary project, or was that a little phase of hypermania? Likewise, if I feel like I'm underperforming at work, is that an accurate judgment, or is that depression stopping me from seeing my contributions? In a work context, some of these states of mind are desirable, as Marnie describes her light mania, but there are some aspects that are less desirable in work. 
for example, depression or dark and angry mania. The challenge you face as you start to wrestle with bipolar is that you have to put a box around some of these more extreme states. I've been wrestling with this a little lately. Sometimes I feel like maybe I'm missing a bit of my edge or my drive, and I find myself wondering, would I be better off if I was unmedicated? Fortunately, though, I get to listen to these episodes, and I'm reminded of the wreckage that can come with undiagnosed bipolar. So I'll deal with feeling a little less sharp and having a little less drive. If you're listening to this from the perspective of someone involved in creating culture, I think Marnie shared some great ideas and insight. Listen to how she conducts that role play. Think about the role job rotations could play in your business for people who have ADHD or bipolar, but also for everybody learning new skills and getting new challenges. And I think it's important to ask your executive team to get involved in your employee resource groups, your DNI initiatives, and whatever it is you're doing around mental health. And lastly, if you are trying to do more for mental health at your workplace, quite sincerely, thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to get notifications of new episodes as they're released, you can either sign up for our newsletter at www.silentsuperheroes.com or you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash silentsuperheroes. Take your mental health seriously. If you need to speak to someone, you can call 1-800-273-8255 or text crisistextline.org at 741-741. Both provide 24-7 confidential counseling to people in the United States. Worldwide, visit iasp.info slash resources slash crisis underscore centers slash To help others find the Silent Superheroes podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting service.